Welcome to Wattcast. I'm Charlene Gianetti, editor of Woman Around Town. We need a feel-good musical now, and DC's Arena Stage is delivering just that with a rollicking production of Anything Goes, featuring classic Cole Porter songs. Lisa Helmy Johansson plays Hope Harcourt, a debutante who is about to get married, but meeting someone else on board, a cruise ship, changes all that. We're happy to have Lisa here to talk about her career and playing Hope at a time when we need just that. Lisa, thanks so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's start with where you grew up and went to school. So I actually grew up not too far away from here in Fairfax. Um, And I went to W.T. Woodson High School and uh, then went to college down at Christopher Newport University in Southern Virginia. Uh, so this is this is a very familiar area to you. It's a mildly familiar area <laughs> to me. Um, I definitely came on a lot of field trips to D.C., but I kind of feel like the, the age where I would have started to actually be able to explore the city more on my own was kind of when I left for school. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't the, the young clubber type, if you were the so, <laughs> okay. um, Besides going to a few museums um, while growing up, well, and not just a few, many, because they're amazing here, um, I didn't necessarily know D.C. super well. Mm-hmm. So the times that I've been able to come back um, on tour and for contracts have been really awesome, because then I can actually get to know it a little bit better. Yeah, that's certainly what, what happens. So when did you first know that you wanted to be an actress? Um, I think it was, um, I mean, honestly, it started a little bit when I was doing just community theater in Fairfax. Um, it was the first time I was like, oh, this is kind of nice. I enjoy this. But once I was in college, I started out as, um, a double major in vocal performance and choral education with a minor in psychology. Um, and... I, though, got in the musical, and there weren't necessarily tons of music majors that would typically get to the musicals through the theater department, but I did, and I was like, oh, this is what I want to do, and so um, much to a bit of my parents' chagrin, I changed my major of choral education to music theater, And, and we went off from there. I see. Well, that was a bold move, but certainly one that's paid off. (laughs) So uh, we can describe you as an actress, vocalist, and dancer. Uh, Do you want to place those descriptions in the order of importance for you? Um, I I generally call myself... uh, Well, you know, I guess it's funny because between being an actor and, and singer, those are kind of interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Um, more for me, and I actually would put I um, in, an instrumentalist. I think over being a dancer, um, I studied instruments growing up, and it's thankfully also turned out to be a little bit of a um, niche niche market in music theater now, um, with actors playing instruments as well. Yes. So I would actually put my instrument playing above my dancing, though um, the last. Over the last year, I actually was able to do a few um, workshops and um, kind of developmental productions where I danced more in ways that I have not 
before. And so dancing has actually started to come more into the picture over the last couple of years, which has been um, delightful. A lot of hard work for me because I have a lot less training mm-hmm. in dance than, especially by my goodness, by New York standards. I mean, forget about it. You know, mm-hmm. people in New York are unreal. Um, you know, I go I go into like a beginning dance class and I get my behind handed to me on a platter, <laughs> but I show up, you know, and, and the point is that you know, you only get better when you're surrounded by people better than you. So I go, and, I, and I've improved over time, and I'm really grateful when directors and choreographers um, take a bit of a chance on me, because the main thing is that I don't learn the dance quickly, but once I know it and have more time with it, I will sell the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the fact of the matter is that I won't learn it as quickly, and I won't be as highly technical. Mm-hmm. But I love dance and I admire it greatly um, and uh, so I love the opportunities I get to to be able to dance so what instruments do you play um, well I started very young on piano um, kind of just self-taught my my older sister took lessons and though her piano teacher said that I was too small <laughs> Small. <laughs> to start playing because I was only three. Ah. My, he, he said my fingers were too small. Um, but my sister started teaching me just like little scales and the things that she was learning. And so I just started playing. Um, and I guess I was, it, was, it was years later when I started actual piano lessons and then I started playing violin in the public school system here in Fairfax, which was awesome. And those two instruments have stuck with me all along the way. I also started learning through, I guess, kind of like youth groups and just like being in bands and stuff like that. I started learning some guitar. Also, my sister had a guitar for a little while too. So I, again, I just like, was like, cool, another instrument in the house. And I um, learned that a bit. And I learned some drum set when I was playing in bands while growing up. And so I I slowly was just able to kind of accumulate a a little bit of a wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. Um, And then because I just loved learning instruments, I also kind of accumulated them where people would be like, I don't play this flute. You have it. Here's a beginner trumpet. Just keep, you know, adding it to the arsenal. I'll be great. I love jazz. I love, you know, so, um, uh, thankfully over the years I've accumulated a bunch of instruments. Um, and so I play strings and piano are kind of more my wheelhouse of instruments. But a couple years ago, um, for the tour of into the woods, that the track I was auditioning for um, had trumpet in it. And trumpet was one of the instruments that was much, much harder for me to teach myself because it was a completely different skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with string instruments, you know, I at least had some familiarity in the left hand of how to use frets or how fingers operate on a fingerboard, but ombature was a completely different world. Um, so trumpet was an instrument I, I had gotten many years ago, but had kind of just it stayed in the closets of all these apartments I moved around in in New York, and then finally I had this callback, but they're like, okay, Lisa, we know you play these other instruments, but do you, do you play any brass? And I was like, how much time till the callback? They're like, you have a month. And I was like, I will when I come back. <laughs> so I got my trumpet out, and I... I had one of the most embarrassing final callbacks of my life because trumpet is based on breath. And one thing that you can't practice in your living room is what adrenaline will do to your breath support. Mm. <laughs> so 
I'm not gonna lie, that fi- my final callback for Into the Woods was the most embarrassing callback I've ever had because I basically made fart noises on a trumpet for about 10 seconds because I had learned a new piece of music for this final callback and I had to stop. I looked at her and I said, I'm going to abort to this new song and I'm gonna play the easy one I played for you before and they all laughed and were so encouraging and so kind. And then I played the song that I played before. Um, and then I said, great, I'm going to put this thing down. And then I proceeded on with the rest of my callback, which I felt much more comfortable with because you were singing and acting. <laughs> but um, so, you know, like, um, actually today I'm going to be filming um, an audition for an, uh, for a, a workshop that's happening with, that, with actor musicians. And I brought a flute and a trumpet with me and I just at this point have a lot of videos of playing different instruments but Lisa you sound you sound like a one-woman band (laughs) seriously (laughs) I I feel like it sometimes but my proficiency definitely varies greatly from instrument to instrument (laughs) well I'm I'm really overwhelmed So uh, you mentioned uh, Into the Woods. Uh, now that mm-hmm. was the that was the show you were on tour with. Is that right? Yes. And and where did you go? And what was that like being on tour? Um, well, that was the second time I've been on tour. I toured with Avenue Q as well years ago. Um, both shows actually brought me to um, DC, which was awesome. And um, and it was particularly special. Into the Woods brought us to the Kennedy Center just. Gosh, not last December, but the prior December. And that was really special because growing up in the area, you know, the Kennedy Center, you know, you have such a high regard. And the only times I'd ever been there was once when I saw little women with my Girl Scout troop when I was <laughs> little. And and then the only other time I'd really been there, except just for like a walkthrough tour, um while seeing other museums was to actually audition for the National Symphony Fellowship Program when I was in high school for violin. Because um, there was a while where I thought that violin was going to be um, what I really pursued mm-hmm. artistically. Um, so then to be able to, oh my gosh, I can't even describe to you, seeing the Into the Woods posters outside of the Kennedy Center seeing the display cases with my costume pieces and photos of us outside the theater at the Kennedy Center was, I mean, I'm getting a little overclumped just thinking about it. Mm. It was so, it was so special. And that is one of the most beautiful, magical blessings of, of this crazy, crazy art form that I do is that, you know, these, you have these moments of being in these venues and for me, especially the Kennedy Center meant so much more than just all, a lot of these other beautiful venues that I've gotten to visit across the country. Um, it just, you know, it just makes your heart sing. Mm. It, it, it's a joy I can't describe. Um, and so that was pretty extraordinary. Um, obviously, traveling a lot can be its own uh, challenge, but... And it also depends on the type of touring you do. Um, If you're lucky, you'll do a tour uh, where you'll have long sit-downs in different cities, and those are awesome um, because you have a chance to really settle and see different cities and um, get to know these different places you travel to. 
But sometimes these tours will have you moving around um, every few days, and that is way less fun. Mm. <laughs> that is when it, it becomes all about just survival. <laughs> it's like you have to just stay healthy mm. in, in every way, you know, because the, particularly into the woods was very physically demanding for my track. And so it was all about having to take Epsom salt baths so that my body could do the shows. It mm. was about foam rolling before and after. It was about having thorough warm-ups before and even cools downs after, you know, you had to drink tons of water. You had to just take good care of yourself. And thankfully, I'm kind of a health nut anyway. But that's when, when you move around that much, it's really challenging. And also even just mentally, it's, to travel that much, it's, that gets less fun. Mm. How long? How long does a tour often last? Like from beginning to end? I mean, are we talking months or a year? From, it totally varies from show to show. Okay. Um, particularly nowadays, the like a production tour, mm-hmm. which is the highest paying tours that actors can do within our union. Those will run basically for as long as producers feel like they can make top dollar. Or, I don't know, you know, it's tough. This can get very, much more political very quickly because of, you know, the production tours are where actors get paid the most, and that's great. But then um, production companies will choose to make tours uh, lower tiers where the actors get paid less and you travel more, um, you have less sit-downs in different cities, and... So it gets a little less and less glamorous as you go down the tiers, and then you go to non-union touring, and that's when, you know, it's usually the kids who are um, fresh out of college sometimes, Mm -hmm. um, or just, you know, getting new credits, which is, it's a great opportunity in some ways, but they are definitely not paid much. Um, And so it it really, what the thing is, is that because it's so cheap, non-union touring can go on for much longer because they still charge full ticket price um, in these different cities they tour to, but they don't have to pay the actors as much. So that's much more sustainable for producers. So those tours can last much longer. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you don't have, you know, union actors. You don't have people who did the role on Broadway traveling with the tour, you know, things like that. Right. So, Right. It's a, it's a, a very, it's a, it's a tough situation, you know, it's, you know, because as union actors, we want to be like, hey, you know, we want to protect our rights, we want, you know, people deserve to be paid a living wage doing what we do, but at the same time, there's kids out of college who can get new experience, and so it's, you know, that's a whole other can of worms, girl. Yeah, <laughs> I can see that. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. So, Lisa, tell us about uh, your character in Anything Goes, Hope Harcourt. Uh, what message does her romantic experience send to those that are looking for love? Hmm. Well, Hope Harcourt is um, a debutante of the 1930s. Um, she is the kind of girl who is on the cover of Life magazine. Um, but her family went through... Uh, a, a tragic loss of her father who committed suicide during the Great Depression. 
um, because he was in the stock market and lost a lot of money, as a lot of people did at that time. And so hope is, at least my take on hope, um, though she is a debutante, though she is the type of woman who, or young woman who's on the cover of magazines, and she, I think the loss of her father was very profound to her. I think that she, again, my take on her is that though she lived a life of absolute affluence and um, extreme wealth, mm -hmm. that, that wasn't what was always most important to her. I think that she, at heart, has core values that are not necessarily assumed of people of her status at that time. Mm -hmm. And you see it, it play out in the dynamic between her and her mother. Her mother is very much in the line of thinking of maintaining their high status of extreme wealth and showing that off. And I think hope... And I, I like to attribute it a little bit to um, to maybe her relationship with her father, that she was kind of cut from a different cloth than just that. Mm -hmm. um, but the really awesome and unique thing about our production that I wasn't even actually sure of when I was first cast, because I am half Korean and half Finnish. I am not who is typically cast as Hope Harcourt. Um, I mean, generally, I mean, you know, <laughs> Generally speaking, most shows are pretty Caucasian-dominated until recent years. And so Hope being biracial and of Asian descent is not typical. And we are choosing in this production to actually acknowledge the fact that she is of Asian descent. It's not just about it being, quote, colorblind casting. Mm -hmm. My mother... Um, who's also Alisa, she is also of Asian descent. We are representing a very small minority of um, Asian American immigrants. Now, I'm not an immigrant per se, but my mother is an assumed immigrant in the 1930s uh, who are of extreme wealth, which was very rare, mm -hmm. um, but not unheard of. You know, I think part of the story, too, is that, you know, there, there were... Asian flappers. There were, you know, there just weren't many of them, and you don't see pictures of them, but they existed. Um, and um, so through that, I think that another level of depth that is brought even to my mother's character is that, you know, being an immigrant to a country is a very challenging thing, and it can shape you in different ways. And being myself a, a first-generation um, on my Korean side is, you know... Sometimes people feel a pressure that they need to prove that they've succeeded in the country they have immigrated to. And it's basic psychology and it's also a sociological, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that that is a reflection that we're choosing to delve into in my mother's character as well. Where she, she, she part of why she needs to have the extreme wealth and continue to keep this front is because she is proving that she has succeeded in this country that she immigrated to. Mm. Um, and while it's not a very, it, it, 
it is conscious, but it is also subconscious, you know. But hope is first generation. Um, and she also has a Caucasian father who, you know, was born in America. And, you know, all of these things can, can really change how a child can, can be raised and develop. So I think hope is of the next generation, as generations are wont to do, to evolve, mm-hmm. to aspire to different things. And hope is of that mindset where she knows that she could evolve to something greater. You know, the decade before, women gained suffrage. You know, she and she knows that, and she um, wants more in her life. But her father, losing her father also challenges her to kind of take care of her mother. Um, And so she's being pressured into marrying someone she doesn't love. But the whole premise of the story is that she falls in love with a guy who is not quite as fancy, but he speaks to her heart. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that she has never known how to listen to her heart. Um, And that's kind of based on societal pressures and... Um, and things like that. But I think that we can all probably relate to different ways in our own lives as humans in the 21st century of ways that we don't listen to our hearts. And it's, it's a, it, so her story is very much a battle, a dichotomy between maintaining what she's been told she needs to maintain her whole life and listening to her heart and her gut. Um, with this man who is able to see her not for her facade, not for her, you know, societal affluence. He sees her for the woman who she is. And I think that that's the most important story we can tell is that that's what everyone deserves to find. A partner who will love you for who you are at heart, not for who you present to the world. Um, but that's not even, I mean, but that can even be a scary thing to even let into your life. Mm-hmm. So that's something that Hope really cha- it, um, battles with. And also, you know, she lost her father. She lost the male figure in her life who she loved dearly. So letting love in again, it can be really scary um, because it risks you to hurt again. But ultimately... God, what is life if we don't let ourselves love and be loved, you know? Uh, Lisa, I can tell you made good use of all those psychology courses that you took in college. (laughs) I Uh, do love psychology. Yeah, that's the reason why I I wanted to double major for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go back because, you know, Molly Smith and Arena Stage, they've, they've, you know, done such a great job the past couple of seasons, uh, Mm. you know, sort of focusing on some of these, political issues in an artistic way that can create discussion and dialogue. And nowhere in the country is that more important than right here in uh, our nation's capital. And of course, this ongoing discussion that we have about uh, immigration is, uh, you know, know, with the uh, midterms coming up, it's going to continue to be, uh, uh, you know, one of those topics. So this, to me, is so well-timed, and, you know, what a brilliant move to do this. Now, did they think about casting someone like you in that role of Hope 
beforehand or did your casting open up the possibility of going in that direction? Do you know? Oh, it, it, Molly is a mastermind. It was absolutely part of the conception, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I am not necessarily privy to um, if they specifically wanted Hope to be Asian. I don't think that's true because in my callback, it was not just Asian girls mm-hmm. who were called back for Hope. Um, but I do know that, I mean, Lord, even just being in the room with Molly for a week, Everything is intentional. Everything is motivated in really amazing, galvanizing ways. Mm. She is so, she's brilliant. She's really incredible. Um, and so I know that it was her intention to have a cast that reflects America today. And not just as America as how some people think it is, but how America really is, truly is. Um, you know, this is the first well, you know, I'm not typically in such large musicals. This is one of probably the bigger shows that I've been in. Um, but it is the first time I've been in a cast with five Asians, five people of Asian descent in a cast of 21, um, ever. And only two of the roles are specifically supposed to be Asian. And that just doesn't happen. You know, the, the term token minority is absolutely true. Usually it's like, oh, good, we have one Asian person and one black American person. Great, we're covered. We have, you know, and, but it's like, okay, and yes, great, it's better than nothing. But it's also like, yo, I, I mean, even in my high school growing up, there were tons of Koreans. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was basically Koreans like a small smattering of black Americans and, the, and all Caucasian, but there was still like, you know, that was the, that was the percentage of where I grew up. And, and obviously every place you go will have different percentage proportions of, of minorities and ethnic breakdowns, but I mean, more, there is just so much more to be shown, you know, especially if you look at our, our country's breakdown as a whole, you know. So I absolutely know that was Molly's intention from the get-go. Um, I, during table work last week, though, I, I, I got teared up. Obviously, it's been an emotional couple of days with everything that had been happening with the Supreme Court. Um, but, you know, the, the day that the vote was happening, we were also opening up the discussion to some of the parts of the show that in the past have been painfully yellow face um, mm. and in ways that were very oh um, not respectful to Asian culture um, and that's part of the history of the show Anything Goes and so but Molly's intention um, and Arena Stage you know everyone on her team um, their intention was to address it head on the yellow face that has happened in the past for this show to address it head on and be intentional about how it is addressed and you know even and molly oh god i can't say enough about her but you know she gave a moment even during table work where she said great because we started talking about 
what that we started getting close to the scenes where the Caucasian, well, actually, the typically Caucasian actors. In this production, um, Corbin Blue is, um, he's half Jamaican and half Italian. And I call us hybrids. Because <laughs> I'm half Brit, half Finnish. And I call us hybrids. So his character, who is that is, you know, in the, historically is generally um, Caucasian, he and another character, who is also typically Caucasian, dress up in yellow face and pretend to be these Chinese characters. And as we approached the scene, Molly was like, great, I only want to hear from these five people right now. And it was those of us who are of Asian descent on our cast. And we all got to just talk. She was like, I want to hear about, I want to hear your thoughts and your perspective um, on how to move forward with this or how you, just anything. Mm-hmm. And she just opened the floor for only us to speak. Wow. I've never had that experience in my, I've been working professionally for 10 years and I've never, you know, the intentionality behind her work is, it's what we need right now. I mean, mm-hmm. we all need to listen to each other, but to have an opportunity to be given the floor to be given the opportunity to be heard. That's what we all need in our country right now. We all need the opportunity to be heard. And that goes for everyone. You know, I'm not going to stand here and say that there are not people who maybe voted differently than me who also deserve to be heard. They need to be heard because they feel ignored. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing I think that we need to address um, is giving everyone a voice and listening, actually listening. Exactly. But I, while speaking, I was talking about how how huge is this for me? This is the first time I've ever been an ingenue in a musical. I mean, not even in college was I cast as an ingenue in the musicals because no one would see me that way. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem, but that's also a slow tide that is changing right now that I'm so grateful for. But I, I started crying. I started crying talking about this in rehearsal, telling this beautiful room of people who were listening to me um, about how what it feels like to, to finally have the opportunity to be seen as a debutante, <laughs> someone who could portray a debutante. Um, but anyway, all of this is vital (laughs) right now and in this city you know because and and it's funny because while I was very mildly galvanized by the fact that I was cast in the show to begin with um I recently the show that I did right before this was a play called Viet Gone out at the Denver Center and Sima Sueco who actually also works for Arena Stage was my director out there so I had the opportunity to work with Sima which is amazing as well she's another baller lady director and she sent me um while we were in our run of Viet Gone, she sent me something that molly had put out in her kind of dramaturgical work for anything goes and as i was reading it i oh man was the fire lit i was like oh i am in the right place at the right time because molly's almost thesis behind doing anything goes is because our country is in a state of anything goes right now. 
Yes, that's there so true. There are scenes of this musical of people who literally, they walk out in broad daylight and they say, this is what I am. They are lying, but that's what everyone accepts them to be because that's what they say that they are. Mm-hmm. And they are accepted as such and they are celebrated as such. And this musical is about celebrity taking <laughs> taking uh, priority over over not not ingenuity integrity celebrity over integrity and it's an important freaking thing to have people watch to have people think about you know I always say as much as I value the platform that we are blessed with through theater to be able to portray certain things, it is not my, it's not my job to bang people over the head with things and force them to change their minds. But what I pray for when I perform and in the productions that I take a part of is that we may make people think. We just affect them in whatever way they are meant to be affected through our performance. Now, thankfully, you can have amazing artistic directors like Molly and choreographers like Parker and even dramaturgs like Nason. People involved in this production who have such research and, and, and Paul, our music director, who are analyzing, researching, um, elevating the work to be something greater. Um, and, and of, and of course, that we can affect others. Lisa, in this, you not only have all this going on, on but you have these wonderful classic Cole Porter songs. Uh, oh, yeah. What's it like to sing some of those? And do you have a favorite? I have gotten goosebumps absolute chills in our music rehearsals so far. Um, I grew up listening to Frank Sinatra um, a good bit. And so to be learning this music and and just the thought of performing it on stage and, oh my gosh, just yesterday in rehearsal, um, Sore Joy sang through I Get a Kick Out of You. Mm. And I just... I know. (laughs) Oh, I, it was, it's glorious. Um, do I have a favorite? Oh my gosh. I, I, I don't know if I can choose a favorite. I'm horrible at choosing favorites. I mean, they're all so beautiful, but the way that Paul, our music director is already, the way that we are, and not just analyzing, but acknowledging the lyrics of Cole Porter. I mean, music is obviously beautiful, but it's even the lyrics. The lyrics, yes. Are clever. So again, the intention. They're so intentional. Yes. Um, there's so many metaphors to nature and, you know, and it's it's glorious. Mm. It's truly glorious and just gives me absolute chills. And we don't even have an orchestra yet. This is just pianos and, and voices and it's, it's magnificent already. So I have to ask you, have you ever been on a cruise? <laughs> I have. You have. I have. My family, <laughs> my family does like cruises. I, you know, um, they were fun. Let's see, I think I was, I was like an adolescent when I went on them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun. I personally won't go on a cruise anymore because I just, um, I value one world travel immensely. And I, but I like being on the, in, in, on the land of right. where I am. I like seeing places on the ground. I like meeting the people from that place eating the food of that place, listening to the music of that place, hiking the land. You know, those are things that I really value. So, you know, but my family's a little bit less adventurous than me. So, (laughs) you know, if it's a matter of like, okay, we're going to take a family trip, maybe I'll go on another cruise. But I have that on them. They're they're fun. They're fine. You know, I get it. It's a way of totally kicking back. <laughs> not having to worry about anything. I guess so. Well, anything goes. We'll be playing at DC's Arena Stage through December twenty third, two thousand eighteen. Thank you very much, Lisa, for joining us. Oh, and anyone yeah, who's interested can go to the Arena Stage website to find out more and to buy tickets. And we will have some links on uh, Woman Around Town. So, Lisa, thank you. Yay! And bon, thank bon you. voyage. <laughs> Bon voyage. See you at Arena. <laughs> okay. Bye-bye now. Bye.